0: That's nOom.com dot com to sign up today.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 413 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com list.com podcast. I'm your host Eric Samolski, joined by somebody who looks the same, but it's totally different. It's off season, Nick Pollock. <laughs> what is happening? We yeah. we made it to the end of the regular season. We did, but we're still going.
2: Yeah, we're still going. Of course we are. Uh, I'm wearing my Hawaiian shirt, of course, because
1: it's you know clearly the off season. Yeah, no, cele- I spent, it's celebration mode.
2: Right. I spent all day today. If you missed it, it was on playback.tv/slash picture list. I did my top 200 rankings. I think they're done. It took a lot longer than I expected. I was very thorough. uh, And I actually spent the last two hours, believe it or not, just watching prospects because that's part of my game that I neglect every year. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to get it out of the way right now. So huge thanks to Matthew Heckman and everybody cheering me on and uh, helping out and stuff. And uh, so you're going to see that article out on the site Wednesday morning as I have to spend all day tomorrow actually writing all the notes. So should be fun.
1: Sounds great. You, you guys can't see. He is not in a Hawaiian shirt. He's in a robe. <laughs> His hair is a mess. He just looks like he hasn't touched water or you know had any food in just 14 hours. Top 10 it's, anime betrayals. Yeah. I, I might turn off my camera. Just <laughs> got to do it. Um, yeah. So, so explain to people. We're obviously going to we're going to go through Nick's top 200. Not all today Um, because that would be a marathon and we don't have time for that Um, but we are going to that would be like a real just just a challenge like could we do it how could we make it interesting could we stay up the whole time could we survive
2: (laughs) I mean I did did a different pitch con for 150 minutes that's what I do every year but yeah
1: I I mean Two hundred is tough. Um, so we're we're gonna break it up though into different episodes, and we're gonna you know have you going for a, a while discussing these top two hundred arms. Um, obviously, it is it is October. Um, so tell the people a little bit about. Like, what was your thought process in ranking these? These are obviously not your like, hey, it's 2024. The season is starting. Use these right, right now. Um, so what was your thought process in putting this top 200 together?
2: Sure. So uh, the mentality is, hey, write out every single pitcher I can think being fantasy relevant right now. So I went through every single team. It took like a good hour or and change to just go through every team and list out everybody that we could possibly imagine. We even have um, three Japanese players who we think that are going to be posted. Mm -hmm. Um, It's why I also spent that time and Matt Heckman and the Dynasty crew really helped um, put a list together for me for saying, cool, these are also prospect guys to make sure you don't miss as well. So I do that. I I list them all out. Then I assign random tiers to them. Not random, but I actually go through and have labels of, cool, I think this guy's a top 50 guy. I think this guy is a Toby kind of guy. I think this guy is a cherry bomb or someone that is like your late upside pick play this guy is someone who has a job so i understand that this one it could have a job and then these guys exist um then there are some random like hey you are injured and dustin may you might show up at some point next year um those kind of guys as well like hey Tarek Skubel was one of them last year right um so you do and all that of that paid we off we got the, yeah right we got a uh, we got the early schedules up which is great we determined as a stream uh, in a community, what teams are generally expected to be good or bad next year. I mean, obviously, it's October, so we have no real idea. Mm-hmm. However, we can kind of guess that Atlanta's probably going to be really good again. And we can probably guess that the, uh, the Pirates might not be the best offense. That's all we're trying to do. Just generalizations so you can have an idea of, all right, this guy I might get at the end of my draft. Oh, wait, hold on a second. I probably don't want him for the first two weeks because he has these two tough offenses that, I probably won't want to start him in that just to get a decent sense of it. That will always be um, applicable because at least we'll know the schedule um, and that's there too. But then after that, yeah, this is a 12 teamer. My whole philosophy with drafting is you want to go for floor for the most part early. Then you want to um, find yourself in a position where you're not drafting guys who could quickly show themselves to be inconsistent and not an SP two or three, right? You want to really be focusing in those uh, 20s and 30s on who is a stable guy that I feel like I'm going to have the, the whole entire year. Then quickly, after you get about three or four of those arms on your fantasy team, you shift to I am going to go for upside and guys that I can determine early in the season are upside. Just saying that, oh, Taj Bradley is an upside play is not good enough. Because I still won't know if Taj Bradley is someone I should be holding on to or not. Because the first two games will be like eight strikeouts and one walk. And the next one will be like four walks and three runs and four innings. And you just don't know what to do. That is not good for a fantasy manager. So I heavily go into that. And I have like a mix of the safe types who are fine. They're Tobies, could be Hollies. That is, they could hint at a 25% strikeout rate as opposed to like a 19% strikeout rate. Um, And then after that, it's like, oh boy, what do I do? So I'm just trying to find anything that could work out and just shove them all there. And there you go. That's the process that took the entire day. Yay.
1: I have always enjoyed that philosophy of yours. Um, I think you've been a proponent of that for a while in terms of filling the back half of the rotation, you know, outside of like your really deep leagues. Like, Obviously, your strategy is different in your 15 teamers cool. and draft and holds and whatever. But when you're in a standard 12 team of chase, of getting those kind of rocks and then, and then chasing the upside. Um, and it's been, you know, something that I've adopted over the last few years as well. Um, I think that, you know, obviously we... Have a little bit of an advantage in identifying those types of pitchers because we spend an inordinate amount of time really going over pitching um, and trying to identify those guys. Um, and then you find those years where you're like, you draft way too many of those guys because you've spent all season, like talking your or off season talking yourself into the upside of, you know, JP Sears or like Ken Waldachuk and then, you know, Hayden Wesneski. And, you know, you're picking up just too many guys like that. Um, right. But that's part of the fun of it. Um, in this first episode, we're obviously going to start from the tippy tippy top. Um, so we are not going to get to the Hayden Wesneski's of of the world. No. Um, we might not even get to him at all in the top 200. Uh, but today we're going to go for the top 10. Um, we are going to, you know, Nick Nick has his rankings. We're going to go off Nick's rankings. I'm going to uh, chime in with where I have people ranked. I, I am this. I am ranking as we go um so i have a top 50 currently right now not a top 200 um and so i'll kind of chime in with with where i'm at on on guys I, as I well i
2: say eric I'm, i i know i gotta be really careful to uh i don't want to compare you and fast but my gosh alex didn't have his until like march and it was you know any any time there was an argument i was like well where do you have a He's like, i don't know i'm like ah I, so, so i did this, this i
1: will just say so, <laughs> so everybody right. knowing can can hear like i did this exercise based on very little additional research like nick has gone by and like looked at all these like prospect pictures and watched the film and all that what i was looking what i was doing was looking at it as an exercise for me in terms of obviously i've spent countless hours this season looking at all of these pictures and all of these pitch mix changes and all of the performance stuff so it's like okay this is for me my the end of the the chapter, right? The end of the season. Where am I? St- where do I stand on these guys right now? The season has just finished. What is my confidence level in that pitcher? Who would I rather have after having just watched them pitch the whole year? Um, and then I'm gonna try. We'll see if I can, you know, hold on, hold, hold up to my end of the bargain. Like come February, to like do a whole new list without really looking at this one and see where I've been maybe swayed by mm. off-season stuff. Um, right. And if you know, I ranked somebody 11 at the end of the season and all of a sudden I have them like 24 because why? What, what change that made me sure. do that? Or if I now have somebody up in the top 20 that I had 40, is it because I read a couple things that said, oh, they're throwing 97 and they have a new change up? And it's like, okay, but well, then, okay. do I really believe that that right. makes them that much higher? So um, I think it's a valuable exercise for people in general, like even if you don't want to spend all day, like Nick and, and pour over everything just to like, mark down your thoughts of like, all right, the season is done. Where do I stand on these, on these players, on these people? Um, and not as people, but you know what I mean? These players <laughs> and, and then, and then just, and then come back to it later. Um, just so you're not really being swayed by everything that happens in the offseason.
2: Right. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and to your point, um, one of the things that I actually haven't done today, though, remember that I always do. I forgot. Uh, was I have two tables at the very beginning of the uh, the article that showcase this strategy, of course, and showcasing. Look, in this season, we forget how many players were on our teams that we didn't draft that were just so absurdly valuable. Um, and I always take a moment to really go through all the players that you know we like right now and say, like, yeah, all those rookie pitchers we did not draft. You know, and also of course, Cole Reagan's high did not, you know, uh, was not on our teams. And there's also these little bits and pieces like Vince Velasquez. Remember that whole thing? That was great. That helped you out massively when you had Vince Velasquez, right? Um, Clark Schmidt coming in clutch uh, for a good amount of time. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of teams did not have Cole Braddish drafted, or at the very least, you were able to pick him up off your waiver wire after him doing terribly for so long, and then he was amazing. You yeah. didn't even say the same about like snell he might have been draft dropped in your leagues because of he wasn't very good for the first two months so there, there are things like that uh and really really does hammer in that point so but yeah i'm, I'm excited to see how your list evolves i'm sure mine will as well and uh, one last point i love four seamers four seamers on the number one foundation i think for for pitchers and i actually did emphasize that a good amount um with these rankings and we're going to talk a little bit more about that soon
1: yeah, I'm I'm excited for that aspect of our rankings cuz like I'm I'm all about strikeouts, man. Like mm-hmm. I I I really huh. so tend to I So mean, I guess we're not going to have the
2: same number 1 then.
1: <laughs> we no, I, we might, who knows. Um but I really I really tend to kind of like when I'm between hairs, splitting hairs on guys like who who do I think can miss bats most consistently? Because I think that that is a skill that you can fall back on that can get you out of a lot of jams. And sure. I know there's a lot of, you know, I, I obviously understand the, the beauty of a versatile and well-rounded pitch mix, but I'm also like, get me strikeouts. Um, no, and there's absolutely. a dominance factor of that, 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 that is, that I enjoy. I um, I will say
0: that.
1: as we go into this ranking, just for people to understand the top 10 may look a little weird. Um, there are some guys that you're used to seeing that aren't going to be ranked. Um, you know, Shane McClanahan probably is probably out all of next year. Uh, Sandy Alcantara probably out all of next year. <sighs> um, Nick and I both had Brandon Woodruff in our top tens. And then a uh, word just came out today that he's not pitching in the division series because of a shoulder uh, injury. And it's possible that he won't pitch in the postseason. Obviously we know Woodruff's injury his- history. Um, you know, Degrom usually in the top ten. Scherzer historically has been in the top ten. These are guys that are all battling arm injuries, and you know are not going to pitch at all next year, or are going to pitch you know much less than we're used to seeing of them. Um, So there are some some names that I'm sure you're going to say like what what that guy's in the top ten. And just something to keep in mind that you know that is that is a new uh, an interesting wrinkle we're going to have to wrap our heads around and could impact draft strategy come you know January February March
2: absolutely uh, excited for all of it
1: so we're gonna start with our top 10 um, the top ten is broken into two tiers so uh, we have the first tier is the starters that you've ranked one through five mm-hmm. um, I want you to name this tier um, and it is going to be um, favorite Halloween. Or just Halloween movies. We only have two tiers, so you're just still picking two movies, but Halloween movies.
2: Oh gosh. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me, Eric. I don't like horror films.
1: That's okay. Yep. I,
2: I, I, who I was, I'm an anxious guy. I'm much better now in my older age, but when I was a kid, I had no idea that I, and I had anxiety, and I would just absolutely avoid everything to do with Halloween movies. So I uh, I guess like a top tier Halloween movie that I understand that everyone loves and is just like, yeah, that is the most solid one that everyone can go back to would obviously be Teen Witch. And uh, because let's be honest, uh, you can't top that.
1: Sure. There are a lot about. of good Halloween movies that are not horror. You could throw Hocus Pocus in here at some point. I mean, I, I
2: was saving that one. <laughs>
1: um, but I, I hear you. I, I watched more than a few horror movies through my fingers. Um, so, yeah, I. it's sixth grade, we went to see the original Scream. Yes, that's how old I am, people, um, for my birthday. <laughs> and... Uh, I had a lava lamp. Again, yes, that's how old I am. People oh, yeah. had a lava lamp in my room, and I woke up in the middle of the night. My lava lamp was red. The walls of my room, the whole room, was bright red. I woke up in the middle of the night after seeing Scream, with my room bright red, and I freaked out. Um, there you go. And so, yeah, horror movies aren't for everybody. Now, so this is uh, Teen Witch.
2: I, I have to mention one thing. I had a, I dated somebody who was that was her favorite thing. The favorite genre was horror, and I was like, you know what? I'll watch these with you, but under one condition. I I downloaded an app on my phone that every sixty seconds it made a fart noise, <laughs> and it needed to take me out of the film because I get so absorbed. Then all of a sudden there would be a fart on my phone, and I'd be like, "Everything is okay, everything is all right." How long and did that agreed. relationship last? That was great. No, it was good. It it worked. It worked. Okay. <laughs>
1: That's. You gotta find somebody who's who puts up with your quirks. Um, so we're in the teen witch category. We're in the. I, I, this is amazing. I gotta find that fart app. Um, I'm just gonna start playing it when you're talking about pitchers. Uh, we're in the teen witch category. Who is your starting pitcher number one? The top arm in the teen witch category.
2: Look, I, I say this all the time. The best thing you can do is draft for floor, and there is no better floor than Garrett Cole. I can't express that enough. Uh, home run rate went down. That's wonderful. The slider wasn't as good as we have seen in the past. You know, it was a 25% swing strike rate in 2022 and down to 16% last year. However, everything was just great. Uh, we had 220 plus strikeouts. We had all the wins that we wanted. 263 ERA, uh, 0.98 whip. It's, it's, it's kind of wild because I don't even think that this was Garrett Cole at his best. I think he kind of uh, was figuring things out along the way. And still, he just continues to be that guy every single year that is just the rock for your team's um, over 200 pit innings once again. Yeah, it has to be Garrett Cole. He's the only one that is truly just like, oh, well, obviously he's going to have another good season.
1: Um, and this is where I agree with you, even though I said I like strikeouts and I think you thought I might have somebody else won. Um, I also I have Cole one, two. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the home run rate went down and he started really using that cutter more as the season Mm. went on. Yeah. Um, Cutter is not a bad strikeout pitch, too. I mean, it it had a swinging strike rate below just below 20 percent on the year, but it induces soft contact and a lot of ground balls in particular in the second half of the year, he was using it even more and it was uh, inducing even more ground balls. He added, you know, he was tinkering with it as the year went on. Um, I think that's a a good thing for him because the home runs were kind of the reason why I was look, I was like waiting for somebody to pass him. Right. I was in on burns over Cole. Um, You know, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, Um, where I just was like I was ready to give somebody else the title because I'd I'd been burned by the Garrett Cole home run problem and in that home park I felt like it was going to stay. And so I really love the the cutter in here. Um, I do think it really quells some of those concerns.
2: Yeah, he started inc- uh, throwing that more in August. Uh, a couple twenty percent usage games there for Gary Cole in that cutter. He did pull it back um, by the end of August, more like seven to uh, most fourteen percent, but really around that like eight percent, nine percent in the final uh, seven or eight starts. Um, but uh, but yeah, I do think that that's a solid pitch for him to add in there. I was like, know, I don't mm-hmm. really feel this slider today. I can actually throw something else instead of the, the, the heater, but at the, end, at the end of the day, like the heater is still fantastic.
1: Yeah. And um, the slider I mean, got much better in the second half of the year absolutely. as he started throwing the cutter more. And to me, that is right. not a coincidence. Um, I do think those pitches can work well off of one another. Uh, and I think to your point, like it does, it does give him a safe four. And if you are just saying I, I need, I just need an ace. Yeah, I need I need that safety. Um, like we talked about, with a lot of names off the board, I think it's him. Um, over,
2: yeah,
1: over somebody who I think people want to put over the top. But who who is your number two?
2: Well, it is Spencer Strider because he had two hundred eighty one strikeouts. Yes, I mean it's all right. Uh, it's also kind of wild. Like, sure, we can talk about the three eight six ERA, the the biggest scarlet letter of the of the offseason, I'm sure, is this ERA from uh, from Spencer Strider, but 109 whips still, 20 wins because he's on at Atlanta. Uh, it's not all ERA, and the the weight that that uh, the strikeouts will bring, not to mention, of course, I think we can be in an agreement that he should have a lower ERA. I mean, when you th- strike out 37% of batters, you're going to likely have a better ERA than 386. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's should be better for him. There is some small worry, like look, it is still two pitches. It's four seamers and it's sliders. It was a 29% swing strike rate on a slider, which is the funniest thing ever. And that's what happens when you throw, you know, 97 on average with your four seamers that they get so geared up for that that the kid just can't they can't figure it out at 12 miles per hour slower with that slider. Um hundredth percentile four seamer PLV at 552. Five, um, slider is only at 25 PLV, uh, or 25th percentile, which is kind of wild, uh, considering how successful it is. But I think that's just because like, it's hard to have a model that has those kinds of pitches inside of a repertoire. We don't really know quite how to deal with it. And the problem here is that when Spencer Strider does lose something, there isn't a third option. Mm-hmm. And I think that is part of the reason why the E-rate is a little higher than we want from strider but it should not be 386 again yeah so okay let's just say it's like 33 or something then fantastic you get 250 260 strikeouts and you get 15 plus wins with an amazing whip like that's still so good um but uh but yeah cole just has a little bit more of a track record so fine just gonna give it to him there
1: yeah so the the sierra for strider is um was 286 uh the xfip for Strider was 2.93 the defense independent ERA d e r a for Strider was 3.23 so again we're not saying that he's going to have an ERA of 2.90 whatever next year but to next point like there are also metrics that back up he shouldn't have had an ERA that high um the final stat line for Strider on the regular season he was 20 and 5 with in 186 In two thirds innings, 386 ERA, 1.09 whip, 281 strikeouts, um, which was a 29.2 strikeout to walk ratio, which is just ridiculous. Um, You love that. And I have Strider too as well. And my hope, I said last year, and this is the reason why I actually traded Spencer Strider away in the league last year after he made a few starts is I said, I actually think his changeup is pretty good and he doesn't throw it. And I really think if he could get the changeup up a little bit, like he doesn't need to start throwing it 20% of the time. Um, but I think that it has the makings of a a solid third pitch, not a wow third pitch. Um, but there is there is enough metrically behind it um, in two, or two years now that has suggested that it's a pretty solid pitch for him. Um, it has a 20% swinging strike rate. Um, it had a defense independent ERA in the low twos. Uh, it allowed just a 2.7% barrel rate over the entire season. Um, so those are things that I think are, are solid for a third pitch. And I think that now maybe he's going to go into the offseason and think, okay, I can't just go, I can't just go fastball slider all the time. Because he had a great year. There's no doubt about it. But I'm sure that he also knows he left a little bit on the field he knows yeah. that he could have had a better performance than, than he did. And I don't think he needed to make that change coming into this year. Cause he was so dominant. And now maybe he, now maybe he does. Um, the interesting thing is like on Alex Chamberlain's pitch leader board, I separated by first half, second half his pitch mix is maybe the only pitcher I've ever seen. It is legitimately identical, like <laughs> to the percent
0: That's
1: awesome. 59% for seam. slider, 7% changeup. In the first half, in the second half, doesn't matter, didn't change.
2: Yeah, what's wild actually then is that the the ERA in the second half, so starting on July uh, 15th, moving forward, it's a 439 uh, for Strider, the 110 whip and 34% strikeout rate. Uh, About that changeup, so PLV absolutely just hates the thing. Uh, 11th percentile changeup, 442 PLV, just saying, it's never really good. It's it's not a consistent offering, and it isn't. It's a very low strike rate, fifty-two percent strike rate when he threw it. Um, CSW was just twenty-eight percent, and uh, those are the reasons why I think Strider doesn't throw it as much. Just because when he does execute it, it does have success. Absolutely, he only had thirty-one balls in play on it. Um, so the like the batting average and the um, a lot of like the great contact and play stuff makes sense. Um, because he only had a 24% zone rate. So uh, he doesn't throw into the zone, no called strikes or anything like that. So yeah, when contact is made on that, that makes all the sense, because he's just not making any mistakes over the middle of the plate with it. Yeah. Um, so but you, it, there you is have to, a, a risk-reward with that, with how Strider has used the change-up, uh, and I wonder if he does push that more over close to the plate to be more competitive, Right. because a 52% strike rate is just far too low for him to actually really incorporate that more.
1: When you watch it, though, you see it as... It has the foundation of being a usable pitch. Oh, absolutely.
2: No? Oh, 100%. If he's able to actually put that where he wants to in those good scenarios, absolutely. I've, I've watched so many at-bats with Strider. It's like, I know they're geared up for the fastball. I know he probably will be successful. But if he threw a successful changeup here, there's no chance. Yeah. The thing is, in his mind, it's, well, I have a better chance of beating him with the fastball than I do executing this changeup. Um, and that makes, I, I totally understand that approach with him. Um, But yeah, it is something that he can't improve on. He's still young. You know, this was only really his second season. So
1: yeah. And Uh, and his first full season as a starter in the big. Yeah. So So,
2: he's going to turn 25 at the end of the month. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how he develops.
1: Yeah. Plenty of room for growth. Um, I also like the third guy on your list who we'll talk about after
0: the break. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss.
1: And we're back. We've hit the top two in the teen witch category. <laughs> I have to keep telling myself not to say teen wolf. It's like a real, it's a real hard. Oh, thing right, my yeah. Right, all all right the now. teens yeah.
2: have different things that yeah. they come, you know?
1: Um, so we've hit Garrett Cole, number one and Spencer Strider, number two. So who is the third ranked pitcher you have?
2: I, I debated this for a while. I mean, I do feel like the one and two are like, okay, those are the guys. And after that, it's, it gets kind of messy because I know we're already, already messy at three, but every single guy after this has some sort of flaw to them. Mm-hmm. And what I said before is I believe so wholeheartedly in amazing four seamers. And I got to say, I, I really think that Zach Wheeler's is arguably the best one in the majors based on how much he uses it and how much success he gets out of it. Um PLV is 90th percentile, um, 16.5% swing strike rate on it. 71% strike rate is crazy good. The ideal contact rate percentage, that is, uh, when a ball is in play off of this pitch, how often is it a good event for the batter in this way? that is like is it a flare or burner? Is it a uh, is it solid contact? Is it a barrel? Um, it's not just barrels that matter. It's like, hey, was it still good for them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's 90th percentile, which is so good for a foundational pitch. It's that's everything that you want. Um, so for, for for a pitch that's thrown so often in the zone uh, or as a strike is just insane. And that really has paved the way for Zach Wheeler to be uh, to be a 108 whip, to be a 27 percent K rate, to go 192 innings on a winning ball club. Um, it's all there. We have over the last three years, 213 innings, 153, but still 26 starts. And then 32 starts this year with 192. I just found it as a situation of like, yeah, I trust Zach Wheeler every single time out there to, to succeed with that four seamer always working. And of course, always the sinker being a 44% O no swing pitch, which is just insanely good. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, what is the slider in curveball going to be? Um, and these are two pitches that have not been their best selves for a bit. Um, we have even seen him, I believe, go back to a cutter at times, like rarely. But really, we I think we're just calling it full on a slider. Um, and just a 14% swing strike rate, 25% CSW on that sub 60% strike rate this past year, while the curveball at just 57%. I think there's room to grow here on top of this. At the same time, it's just the four seamer and sinker are overwhelming. And uh, we've seen time and time again, guys that have that good of a fastball will consistently have that higher floor than those that are more reliant on secondaries. So, Zach Wheeler, you're my number
1: three. Love it. Wheeler's final line on the year, 13-6, and 192 innings, 361 ERA. He had 212 strikeouts. He had a flat even 22 um, strikeout-to-walk ratio, and as Nick mentioned, a 108 whip. Uh, Wheeler is my number four, so I'm not really that far off of yeah. you. Um, And one of the things I I like that you mentioned, um, he actually started throwing the four seam more in two strike counts in the second half Mm. of the year. Um, He threw the four seam 39% of the time in two strike counts. And also we should say that like, obviously not all two-strike counts are created equal, right? A 2-2 sure. count and a 3-2 count is very different than an 0-2 count and a 1-2 count. But just seeing a pitcher go to a pitch more often in two-strike counts, generally speaking, speaks to a confidence in that pitch to get a strikeout.
0: Um, Absolutely.
1: And so he had a 6% jump in two-strike, four-seam usage in the second half of the year. I think it's no coincidence that his swing strike rate was much higher in the second half of the year. Um, also, his sinker usage jumped slightly. I, I shouldn't say jumped. It, you know, inched <laughs> um, in the second half of the year. Um, and the, But the swing strike rate on the sinker in general improved a lot as the, as the year went on. So, yeah, I think everything you said makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think there were some minor changes as the year went on. To suggest that he was understanding all those things about his own arsenal and leaning into the pitches that we are saying are strong pitches for him, um, and to me, that's a positive because it's showing a veteran pitcher who isn't afraid of you know minor adaptation in order to make the most out of his arsenal.
2: Yeah, what's also interesting that I, I did mention is that that slider is more of a sweeper now, uh, gained a lot more yes. uh, horizontal break, uh, and it's kind of interesting how it just didn't really affect his results that much uh in fact it was a nearly an identical strike rate uh i mean slightly better swing strike rate slightly better csw but not really this major impact of a pitch save for fewer ground balls and more fly balls which makes all the sense because if you move from a normal sweeper which has more vertical movement to a sweeper that has a um uh sorry a normal slider to a sweeper uh you're going to get more horizontal which means that you're going to get more lift on it It's, it's not going under the bat now um makes all the sense. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. You actually had the average go up on it because of that, but um and then Babbitt went up as well, which actually, when you see more fly balls you traditionally don't see that. So I, I think it's fine either way. I like the fact that Zach Wheeler is trying something new. And this is the most wild thing. This is actually here, here, here you go. This is the one stat. If you want to know something about Zach Wheeler this year, guys, you're like, well, I don't know. It's a three, six, one ERA. I don't know if we're actually going to see a good pitcher I can trust. Zach Wheeler's slider. The league average of sliders actually is a hit luck of plus five. That is allowing five more hits uh, on a slider than uh, typical throughout the year. Zach Wheeler's slider at just 27% usage, which is pretty league average, had a hit luck of allowing 27 more hits than expected. 27 hits! More than expected. He, allow- <laughs> he allowed a total of 48 hits. And he allowed 27 more than expected. Just think about that for a second. Like it should have been almost a half of a up that he had on his slider. Uh, that that to me is just sum- summarizing Zach Wheeler that uh, perfectly. And that, that should not be a 3-6-1 here, right guys? Uh, he should have much better luck next year. And he still produced as well as he did this season.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I was actually going to say, um, even before you mentioned that stat, I was looking at, at we were, you know, obviously having this conversation about Wheeler and I was glancing at the guy I put ahead of Wheeler and I just was like, no. So Zach Wheeler is my number three. Yes! Um, <laughs> we did it. We did it. So man. so who is
2: it. who is your number four then? Or um, now um, I'll
1: tell four. you when you mention his name, which will be. Soon. But it's not your number four. Oh, interesting. Who is who?
2: Oh, that is Luis Castillo. Because guess what? His four-seamer was 100th percentile in swinging strike rate. We have Spencer Strider's at 15% and change. Luis Castillo's was 18.5% with a near 70% strike rate. This is really good. (laughs) (laughs) He <laughs> had an expected average of 165 on the pitch. Oh, my gosh. running, Wait, isn't that the, that's not the same expected uh, average as Stackhouse? Because ours is a little bit different. It's, oh, I mean, it was a one eight, sorry, 165 average. Um, overall 90th percentile on that as well. Um, its fly ball rate was 61%, which is the most in the majors, at least the ground balls. And if you remember, actually, Luis Castillo back in the day, wait. Wasn't he a ground ball guy? Right, because he started leaning into this four seam right now. And I'm a massive fan of what he does. Um, rooted in that that heater, uh, the guy just he just dominates constantly. Uh is slider is now a 37% CSW pitch, 93rd percentile. And there's still even room to grow. Either throw more sliders at 22 percent usage this year, could be further up to 25 or 30. While the changeup of old is not what it used to be, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: he did reduce it down to 16%, though, because of that. Um, Utilizing more of those four seamers from 33% to 44% this year. And I think that maybe the changeup could be closer to the 20% plus swing strike rate pitch that used to be for Luis Castillo. While the slider, of course, is that dominant pitch. And then there's also a sinker that has a nice 31% O-swing. I will take that all day. That means he's likely getting that inside to righties, focusing on that. Um, and inside location is 45%, which is great to see on a sinker. That's 70th percentile. That's what you want to see. So Luis Castillo to me has the whole package of going 197 innings this past year. Um, having a good history, I think of, it was 33 starts, 25, 33, um, max starts in 2019 and in 2020 as well. So really just one season of any sort of hesitation. Um, and that was 25 starts still in 2022. Uh, actually 2018 also was 31 starts. Luis Castillo is another rock to me. He's um, going to pile up the strikes out, strikeouts, strikes outs, uh, strikes strikeouts. Outs. I think that's what they are. Uh, 220 this past year, 97th percentile, winning ball club for Seattle. Good place to pitch. I love it.
1: Um, I had a bet on Luis Castillo to win the AL Cy Young before this year started. Not oh, close. So close. Um, I definitely like Luis Castillo. Um, he is ranked high for me. Um, he's ranked 5. Um wow. so I have him spot down from <laughs> you. <at> <laughs> um I the final stat line on Luis Castillo 14 and 9 in 197 innings, he had a 3.34 ERA, one ten WHIP, 219 strikeouts, a 20.3 K minus walk rate um which was 8 out of 10 pitchers that will be mentioned today. Um eighth best out of 10 one stat, I'm not saying that's why I have him 5 and Nick has him 4. Um But I, I do, I am, I am a little bummed that that changeup has fallen off the way that it has. Um, It was a great pitch. And, you know, we've had some conversations the last few weeks that, you know, pitchers whose best swing and miss pitch is a changeup tend to struggle to produce the way we want. So it makes sense for him to go more fastball slider heavy. The slider had a 17.4% swinging strike rate on the year. That's great. Um, I, the sinker is fine. It doesn't do a lot for me, um, you know. It obviously doesn't miss bats. It doesn't give up a lot of hard contact. I think it's a fine pitch for him, you know, for for real baseball for getting soft outs. Um, I would love to see the changeup be a little bit more dynamic. Um, so it's it's four seam slider for him uh, primarily, um, with some other pitches that can round out the arsenal. And again, we're nitpicking here of why I have a particular player ranked four and him ranked five. I still think he is a, a very safe pitcher in a very good environment, both team context and stadium. Um, and there's really nothing wrong with, with ending up with Luis Castillo as the ace of your staff. But I have flipped him with the person that you have ranked below him.
2: See, this is why it was a tier, right? We, I knew we'd be on the same page. It just feels like these five players are clearly the first five that are going to be going um, in drafts, I can see actually my, I think, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe being higher up. I think many are, are in on him. It actually feels weird to be a low man on him. Um, it's weird also to say low man, and you'll understand that later. Uh, and then there's also my six or seven, rather. I can see people jumping back in on him. But yeah, Kevin Gosman. I mean, here I was, a big detractor of Kevin Gosman, saying, look, the BABIP is still an issue. And uh, I think that that's not going to necessarily disappear. And I was actually really shocked, Eric, to find that. Yeah, it did stick around. <laughs> it did, for I sure mean, it did. was like a three, six, four last year, which I know was a career like uh, like a historic thing. But then Kevin Gosman has a three twenty four still. And his whip took a hit. I mean, we saw the one twenty four in two thousand twenty two for Gosman's whip. And it was one eighteen and I've really wrestled with this because that's that's actually detrimental. That that hurts to have yeah. that. I think we still don't quite buy that the 324 BAPIP is gonna stick around. Like it should be better than that. It's 15th percentile. And I'm gonna be if there's any person I think really inside this top 10 that I might be switching on, it's how much I really want to lean on that whip or not. Because he also did have a worse walk rate. It was a 4% walk rate in 2022. Now Gosman has a 7%, which is fine. That's like what we kind of expect. While the hit per nine did go down from Mm 9.7. Yay, it went down to eight. Okay, that's not the top five starter, really. You're supposed to be around like seven for that. And that's why you have the 118 whip. And looking at his fastball, it's still a problem. Uh, 49% ICR percentage which is the 16th percentile. Again, ICR to me is there are two halves of pitching. There's getting strikes and there's limiting good contact, right? That's the gamble we make as pitchers. We want to throw strikes without allowing you to make good contact and play. And those that are able to get strikes and limit that contact uh, is everything. Sure, you can have a 0% ICR, but that be, that's because you're throwing the Spencer Strider changeup out of the zone. So obviously so. And to see a 97 percentile strike rate for Gosman's four seamer, it's 75. I'm Like, okay, well, that's that's what he's doing, right? He's playing that game. Uh, the thing is, though, the splitter's babbit was really bad, though. It was a three mm-hmm. five four, and I'm like, wait, no, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> you're supposed to be the one that they don't hit well, and they didn't. You know, it was a 36 uh, percent ICR, which is fine for a splitter. Um, at the end of the day, though, PLV says, look, he allowed three fewer hits than he should have on the splitter. So, I'm I'm kind of conflicted. It was actually, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, this is actually hilarious. Hit luck again is my, is I think, a really good way of, of framing Babbitt because not all Babbitt's great equal. If I'm throwing meatballs, I should have a high Babbitt, right? Um, so, it was a plus 30 in 2022 for Gosman's four seamer, minus nine this year. So, he got lucky on both the splitter and the four seamer. I don't, it, it does mess me up a little. It's like, Nick, you just put him at five. Well, yeah because he clearly has this foundation of strikeouts, which is insanely good. Uh, he's gonna have a low whip he always finds a way to do it. I mean he had 237 strikeouts this year. He has he pitches for a winning ball club 185 innings like 33 starts 31 31. Um, he you know he's just gonna be around and beneficial for the most part, but man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lot of thinking this offseason about do I really believe that, that that Gossman's whip is gonna stay this high? And if it is, does that mean he's not my number five anymore? Yeah. I don't know.
1: I think it's like I had him he was the guy I had three. So on this podcast, mm. I already moved him down a spot. So <laughs> I so it would not be a shock for me to move him down again. Um and I will say that like I understand that I get a little googly eyed over strikeouts, and that's part of why I have Gossman up where I do. Uh, his final stat line for the year, 12 and nine in 185 innings, 316 ERA, 237 strikeouts in that time. Uh, Nick already talked about the 118 whip um, and a 23.9% strikeout minus walk ratio, which is the second highest um, of the players you have ranked in your top 10. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where you dream on it, right? Um but he's a two-pitch guy. I mean, he throws a slider and it's not particularly good. I mean, I know that, you know, pitching oh, ninja no. will have some, you know, videos of it at times, but but the pitch has not been a great it's pitch for him. Um, I know he tinkered with like maybe throwing a sweeper at some point and didn't really. So maybe Gossman in the offseason will go in and tinker with that slider some more and and maybe we'll love what he comes back with. Um but you know, I think the differentiator between him and Wheeler for me is He's got a, a sub nine percent swing strike rate on the four seam, um, and so the splitter really just does a lot of the heavy lifting. I do like the team context in Toronto, where they've really kind of shifted to like a pitching and defense team. Even though everybody thinks that they're like an offense heavy team, they made changes to that ballpark. You know, bringing in like Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermeyer, rolling out the carcass of Matt Chapman every day. Um, those are defense first. Decisions, and so I like that when I'm drafting pitchers on that team. Um, but yeah, he he is right now the guy for me that, even though I have him four, you have him five. Um, I I think that he's the most vulnerable in this top five for me to wake up and say, he's the guy I think maybe is most vulnerable to like falling out of the top twenty, and then I'm kind of like, why did I just spend that pick, that high yeah. pick on on him?
2: I'm, I'm finding myself even convincing myself during this to maybe when I publish on Wednesday not even have Gosman as my five.
1: So I, so. and here's where I think Gosman is the name where I think we run into like, I miss Shane McClanahan. You know, yeah. I, I miss, miss Jacob this DeGrom. is the like effort. Let's take Degrom. you know, like th- there yeah. are guys now where you're like, okay, I'm looking at the guys I have ranked below him. And like, I don't know that he's, Not that he's less safe. A lot of the guys after are risky. Um, And we'll talk about the next five after the break. We're going to move on now into the second tier of the top 10. Um, This tier does extend beyond the top 10. We should just let people know that, but we're just going to talk about these 10 guys right now. Um, So we're going to leave you. It's a cliffhanger tier because we're going to leave you hanging with it right Mm. now. Um, But which Halloween movie is this tier and why?
2: Oh man, so I'm wrestling with this because I'm actually trying to think of like an actual Halloween movie. Um, because the thing is, I, I thought I was going to do Baba Duke. The Baba Duke mm. is a phenomenal film. That one is. Uh, but it's not really a Halloween film, it's just a scary film. It's just a scary that's film. Not, yeah. That's not. So, I, literally in my head, I'm like, how what films do I remember that someone went as a costume? And like, that's literally all I'm trying to think of. And there are only two films in my head I can possibly think of that are like actually Halloween films, say for the movies of Halloween. I'm not going to do those or Freddy Krueger stuff or whatever or Scream. And that's Legally Blonde and Mean Girls. Those are the only two <laughs> I can think of. So this is going to be the Mean Girls tier. Sure. All right. Because you don't know if they're plastic or not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There you go. I, I can that. write quite a few things in a burn book about these five names. Yeah,
2: there, there it is. Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, so who is the the, uh let's be the tim meadows here let's be the sane one just trying to rein it all in
1: yeah uh there's a guy uh there's a guy that i'll mention that you'll just scream out he doesn't even go here because (laughs) uh he's not in your list but he's in mine oh wow who's um we have the same number six and i think it might surprise people so who is your number six we do yes
2: well, there's a theme that I told you guys, and the Gosman kind of broke. And it's kind of like, wait, why am I doing this? Um, but I love really good four-seamers. And this pitcher, well, went from an 11% swing strike rate four-seamer in 2022 to a 17% one in 2023. That is 98th percentile. That is Pablo Lopez. I, you know, he's really good. He's really good. and But the negative that I have is that whip
0: 115
2: mm-hmm. and an 8.2 hit per nine. Now I do believe in this four seamer. I also recognize that it is 44% ICR. He does allow um, some bad contact on it at times. It does. uh, you know, there, I, I remember watching some games where it uh, moves to the, the middle of the zone and it's not fun, but at the end of the day, Pablo Lopez has a fantastic foundation of a four seamer. He also has a slider that has a 5.5 PLV. That's 85th percentile that he's now learned. If you remember back in, in Miami, Pablo Lopez? He was just like a change-up fastball guy. Mm-hmm. That's it. Goes to driveline. He went to driveline in the offseason. Learned how to do a better force team and Learned how to throw a sweeper. Uh, and, and insanely good. Okay. Uh, 32% CSW on a 62% strike rate. Um, batters struggled to make uh, good contact against just a 20 percent ICR. Oh boy. 91st percentile. So good. Then that changeup that we are just talking about, right? How's that? Well, PLV loves that. Calls it a 90th percentile changeup still. It's not necessarily the greatest thing ever that it was back in the day, but heck, 16% swing strike rate is good enough for me. Allows a lot of weak contact. I'm cool with that. But then he also has more. He's got an 80th percentile curveball in PLV. And that sinker jams batters. It has a 41% O swing. He's got five pitches that I like, Eric. Five of them. <laughs> And I honestly believe that Pablo Lopez isn't just going to take the offseason off. He's someone who actually works on his craft and does things to get better. He went 180 innings in 2022 and now went 194. I truly believe the adjustments that he's made. He's jumped his strikeout rate six ticks. I believe he was tied third for the most strikeouts in the majors with 234. Insane. Insane. That's Pablo Lopez. So... Yeah, sign me up. I'm a believer it's, of this better team contacts as well in uh, in Minnesota. I think he should better be better than eleven and eight. I think the whip should be better. I think you won't see the same hit or nine. ERA should come down as well. Yeah, he, he ran into some terrible luck at the beginning of the year. I remember actually saying, you know, after he had like a four or five ERA or something like that, mm-hmm. I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever. He's not going to have this, and then he just destroyed um, for the yeah. next twenty games. That's what I kind um, of love. Is like- I believe in him
1: he ran into some struggles where everybody was like, oh, he's not an ace. Like he's, this isn't, this wasn't real. Um, and then totally corrected that and was lights out in the second half and didn't even like correct it. Cause he didn't do much different, but I mean, he answered the reality of what he's doing. You mentioned you have f- that he has five pitches that you really like. He has four pitches that have a 15.8% swinging strike rate or better. Yeah. So essentially he has four pitches that have a, at least a 16% swinging strike rate. It's stupid, because yeah. he it enables him to attack hitters with whatever is looking good for him or feeling good for him on that particular day. Um, it's a pitch mix that works well together. On the season for Pablo Lopez, he was eleven and eight, and again, like he had a really good fantasy year, and he won eleven games. Um, and I think that's going to go up because mm-hmm. you know there was some issues with health in Minnesota, um, you know and. Listen, some of those guys are just gonna be injury prone. I mean, those that they're hitters on in Minnesota, that team context. But right. I think you can probably get more wins out of him next year. So eleven and eight in 194 innings, 366 six ERA on the year, one one five whip, two hundred and thirty-four strikeouts. He had a twenty-three point two percent strikeout minus walk ratio. Um, that is the third highest in this list behind Strider and Gossman. I I think we don't want to think of Pablo Lopez maybe as a top 10 pitcher because it feels weird, but everything that we've talked about is like the results on the mound are there. Um, oh, yeah. they're tangible changes that led to success and he was good throughout the whole year. Um, and he, the, th- the three, six, six ERA you see is f- factored in with the, str- the unluckiness and the struggles early on in the year. I mean, it was a three Oh three ERA, to end the season in the final fifteen starts, um, I, it would not surprise me if you're looking at a three-two-three-three ERA version of Pablo Lopez next year, um, and given what he can do with strikeout totals, I, yeah, I think that absolutely warrants being in the top ten.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. I, I really do think there's a better version of Pablo. Uh, you know, to play devil's advocate on myself, uh, again the Hipper 9 went up a little bit. I do wonder if that is going to change. uh, Slider plus 29. Uh, So that might be part of the problem. Um, And uh, I do think that sweepers generally should allow more hits than uh, gyro sliders. That's my philosophy at the very least. So I know it was a big craze to have the sweeper, um, but I I do think that a lot of times just make it be going horizontally as opposed (laughs) to vertically is easier for hitters to hit. Uh, so I'm not too surprised about that. It might be a major reason why that hit luck is as high as it is. I, but again, that, that's really it to me. I think as long as the sweeper can just be a little bit better for avoiding those, uh, for avoiding those sits and ICR was really good on it. Um, I think the Babbitt can come down. Uh, yeah, you have a great season ahead for Pablo.
1: I could see possibly this person who you have ranked next, who again, oddly I have ranked next. Um, but I could see this. I could see this person. Okay. Can you just
2: tell everybody that you did not make your list before I shared mine?
1: Yes, it did not.
2: Okay. Just so we're all clear guys. I, I actually, Eric posted his in the discord and I could tell that there were rankings on on the corner of my eye. I told him to (laughs) please, please get this out of here. And I made typos because like, I can't see what I'm typing because I don't want to see
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> the rest of it. So this, this is amazing. This guy's ranked this high for me because I've had this guy ranked first overall before. Hmm. Um, so who is your number seven?
2: Well, that is Corbin Burns, who despite being such a weird season, that I actually never gave him ace is going to ace because it would be one amazing game and then it'd be just not that great of a game. And then he'd be amazing again and just never got into that true run that made me feel like okay, every single time this is going to be great. I mean, he just kept running into five and runs, six and runs, four and runs, four and just come on, man, uh, figure this out a little bit more. But uh, yeah, Corbin Burns still had an amazing season: three thirty nine ERA, one hundred seven WHIP, with a twenty six percent K rate. Uh, sure, it wasn't the overwhelming strikeouts; that's really the big thing. It's still two hundred of them uh, because he happened to go one hundred ninety three innings. You want know, one of the funniest things, Eric, about uh, about last year? We were making PLV, right? It's a wonderful thing. We're like, oh man, we're Mm -hmm. so excited about this. We're making these great projections because it's going to be based on the pitch quality and not the results of actually what they should have done. And we were basing it on just like the top starters and whatnot. And everything looked good except for one person. It was Corbin Burns. And it wasn't his ERA and his whip. It was that PLV had his strikeout rate at 24% instead of everyone else who had like a 30 or 33%. And we kept banging our heads against the wall, being like, what is going on? Like, wh- we got to figure this out, right? And look, lo and behold, 25.5% straight yeah. right I know for Corbin Burns. Unbelievable. You got to trust what you're putting out there. I, I got to, you know, it's crazy. But yeah, 381 whip, FIP, I understand because the walk rate went up. And I do think actually through the year, Corbin Burns is cutter was not the the well-located pitch that we had seen before. There are a lot of games I felt it just didn't quite do the things he wanted to do. Well, early on the season, he didn't really have any sort of secondary help. Um, The curveball and the change of slider just did not back him up as much as he normally gets those pitches. Uh, And I think moving forward, it should be better. But even if it's exactly the same, all right, fine. Corbin Burns, like this was a great season and I would just take more of the same.
1: So here's where I'm thinking I might actually move him up. Okay. So second half of the year, Corbin yeah. Burns, uh, 272 ERA, 0.96 whip, that 28.4% strikeout rate. That's a little bit closer to uh, what people were projecting at the start of yeah, the year. Definitely um, A 2.26 d- defense independent ERA. Um, in the second half of the year, as a compo- as composed to a three forty six in the first half. Um, here's an interesting, totally changed his slider. Um, so, the the cutter obviously still does the vast majority of the work. Um, it was a better pitch for him in the second half of the year. Uh, I do believe that might have something to do with with changing the cutter. Um, and I should say the. The underlying metrics suggest the cutter should have been better for him in the second half of the year. The swing strike rate went down, but the quality of contact was was worse. Um, the results are not markedly different, but I believe that the pitch itself was, was a better pitch in the second half of the year. But so mm-hmm. in the first half of the year, the slider, he was throwing a slider 7% of the time. That's just 7, not 17. It was 88.3 miles an hour. It had basically no vertical movement and... It had, you know, like a tight, it was a tight, hard spiral uh, slider, not a full gyro. Uh, 19% swing strike rate, had a 582 defense independent ERA, was not great. Second half of the year, drops the slider down to 84.4 miles an hour. That is a four mile an hour drop off. He more than doubles the horizontal movement on the slider ups the swinging strike rate to 22.1%. The defense independent ERA falls to 0.23 and he starts throwing it double digit amounts of the time, 11% in the second half of the year. Um, It may be a coincidence that The cutter allowed less hard contact when the slider shape changed. I I need to, I will tell you right now, like, I need to dig in and see more about where the release point is on the slider. What are the, what is the movement profile? Would it really have impacted the cutter? But what I see are clear results changes in the second half of the year, matched with a noticeable pitch mix change that is responsible for. Uh, 1.5% overall jump in swinging strike rate and just a better overall stat line. So if we get a 28% strikeout rate, Corbin Burns, which we've seen before and people thought we were getting this year, and we're still getting that low three ERA version and we know the whip is really good. Now, all of a sudden you're looking at your guys like Gossman and Pablo Lopez, where you were like, Ooh, that whip, like, I don't really know. And now it's like, oh, okay, so maybe Burns is five. Um, He's been there before in most people's rankings. Uh, We know that the talent can easily put him there again. So this is he's starred for me on when I really start digging in and watching more of these games back, in particular him in the second half of the year, I'm curious to see what my takeaway is on, on him. And I'm curious to see what his slider looks like when he shows up in February next year.
2: Right. So it does look like to me that, I mean, for us right now, we group sliders and sweepers together. We're splitting that up um, for PLX uh, up in February. Don't worry guys. Um, But I, so it does look like, I mean, he has last seven games where he started utilizing more sliders. Um, And in that game was about a 26% K rate. Uh, Before then it was the normal stuff. Um, and, uh, I'm seeing, yeah, I am seeing that, um, that lateral movement get introduced on, uh, maybe the seventh or it could be the 14th. Like he was at 3.3 X movement on a seven, with a the slider, then it was 5.3 on the seventh then 6.5 on the 14th, 7.8 on the tw- on the 20th and 9.4, all of a sudden of that lateral movement on the 25th. So it did really feel like, maybe maybe the super was introduced and then being utilized more as those sliders yeah. instead of the other one um and that's why the x movement keeps going up and all those starts uh interesting to note there absolutely i uh, I don't know if it's i'm not know if I'm totally convinced that the slider had that much of an impact um for his overall uh success considering it was only really fifteen percent usage in those peak times sure um but, yeah, at least he's trying and tinkering and adding something different. Yeah. And I want to see that because when things aren't going great for, for a guy like Burns, you don't want to see him just doing the same thing and repeating it. And I'm curious to see how that develops um, next year. At the end of the day, though, the cutter's still really good. Right, It's still an amazing cutter. Um, and I, I might raise him up. if ha- It really depends on the whip, how I feel about that. Do I think that Burns is going to be better? Or do I think he's going to be more of this tumultuous self? Um, And that's kind of the interesting conversations that I have throughout the entire winter is sometimes I get more convinced like, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit because I'm thinking too much about the recency of the season and not really thinking, no, it should normalize a little bit here and there. Same with Gosman. Yeah, maybe that whip actually does stay up and I pull him down underneath Burns because of that. Maybe I should be more afraid of the 115 whip that Pablo Lopez just had right? And Corbin Burns doing a 110 or lower even? That's 107? I mean, he hasn't had a whip above 107 since 2019. And that was when he was relieving still. Uh, So that's absolutely wild. And maybe I should be putting more faith into that. And also maybe that the strikeout rate won't stay this low. So I might have just convinced myself to put Corbin Burns at number five, but... uh, (laughs) And, and then I should Kevin Dozman at seven, and leave Pablo where he is. I could see that.
1: I should say that, like, I yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think the slider alone led to Burns's strong second half. Right? It's the but sli- it's an interesting. It's, no, it's a absolutely. pitch mix change with a, uh, a a natural regression to talent in a, a pitcher who we know has this level in him um, and found that level a little more consistently. So, um, I like that. Well, I think uh, yeah. We yeah, might, we're good. Might both, he we might, we, we, be we on got this for Morgan. both of us. Wait, where do you have him? You have him at seven? I have him at seven. Are you going to um, change it? I, I think I am. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> I think I am, but I think I might be doing the same. I think like my uh, Kevin Gossman came into this day at three, and he's going to be at like <laughs> 30 by the time we're done. <laughs> I just keep being like, eh, maybe not. I,
2: I'm pretty sure uh, I'm done with Gosman. I might move him to eight, but I think it's gonna stay at seven. I think yeah, I think Gossman's in my top again.
1: ten. Gossman will remain yeah, well, in my yeah, top ten. But, I, but to I think
2: because, because of the strikeout rates and yeah. the just against a seed year to year. but yeah, it's it's kind of weird. So this uh, is
1: where we're gonna majorly I, do.
2: Yeah, this is this is I know I'm more aggressive than others here.
1: Um uh, and I will boy. say this person who you're about to mention, I did not have in my top ten when you sent me your list. Um, he was in the next grouping and I went and I looked and I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Um, oh, you're an idiot. Okay, good. Normally, so, I, normally when I
2: hear that, it's like, and yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're so like,
1: he will show up here for me, but he doesn't show up in this spot. So who okay. is your number eight?
2: So this is at number eight. This is one that I think I'm getting a lot of pushback for, um, because he is not a strikeout guy. i uh, the last, uh, this year actually was the highest. It was only around 26%. And that's Max Freed. And I'm going to hear a lot of injury stuff about him, I'm sure. Um, a lot of pushback on that because he has not made over 30 starts in his career. Um, it was 30 in 2019. It was 28 in 2021. Uh, 30 in 2022 and only 14 this year. And maybe I'm being too aggressive because of the injury haze that he has now. I mean, right now it's a finger blister. Right. And It's like the hot spot. Like, okay, fine. What I like so much about Max Freed is the ratio floor that you get. I so wholeheartedly believe in Max Reed's ability to not walk batters and to limit hits. And it's it's from a repertoire that is so deep. And the four-seamer, while not being a big swing strike rate pitch, it, he's so good at jamming right-handers with fastballs. And if you've heard me say this time and time again. As a lefty starting pitcher... The number one skill I look for is being able to jam your fastball inside to right-handers. If you can't do that, you're going to struggle as a lefty. And Max Fried does this endlessly. He's in the top 90th percentile of, of locating inside fastballs um, to right-handers. Yes, I did look that up. He's actually 98th percentile at 52% of his fastballs. Four seamers thrown against the right-handers are, in fact, inside. Uh, but he also has a curveball, a changeup, a slider, a sinker. He utilizes all five of these pitches. He's in such a good situation in uh, Atlanta. Uh, his ERAs have been traditionally incredible. 225, 304, 248, 255. It's absolutely one of those cases where we don't like it because it's not the overwhelming strikeout arm. And if you do go after Max Fried you certainly do want to take a little bit more liberty later on about mm-hmm. finding those strikeouts. Because, yeah, he's not going to get nothing for you. He's probably going to go around 180 or something along those lines. Maybe there's even upside for more than that from him as we haven't really seen him uh, you know, really utilize his slider and, and curveball as much as we want him to. Still, also the changeup, by the way, introduced last year. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Lovely. Um, all of a sudden, that's now a 20% swing strike rate pitch now to, to right-handers. But it's such a floor with Max Freed. I actually remember uh, a distant conversation in Florida with Ariel Cohen, who obviously we all uh, respect when it comes to projections and, and risk valuation, considering that's what he does for a living. Uh, and we talked about Max Freed being just one of the safest, best pitchers you could get in your draft because he's just so traditionally good when it comes to production. Now, obviously, this was a year that out of nowhere, after four seasons of pretty much great health, yeah, okay, 14 starts, fine. But Max Free to me is just such a rock, and that's what we're looking for this early in the draft.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I I generally speaking have avoided pitchers like this who don't rack up a lot of strikeouts, as you mentioned. But I think that given the weirdness of the of the top 10, you know, and top 15, top twenty, like we like we talked about. I'm willing to, to take a guy who I feel is safe um, and say, okay, you know what? I can chase the strikeout upside with guys later on. Um, and, you know, I, I think the ratios that you're looking at, I think the strikeout gains this year make him even a little bit more palatable because you're not, it's not egregiously low. And look, there's somebody who I almost ranked in the top ten, who's very similar to Freed in uh, Logan Webb, where I was just like, "Oh man, I think there's a value in being like, I'm going to get tremendous ratios, and I'm going to probably get wins, and this guy is not going to burn me." And inevitably, I didn't put Webb in here because I talked myself out of it. But I, but I mean, you get to a point in your top ten where you just have to decide the type of manager you are and it's funny because uh i have freed in my top 10 but i don't have him eight because the person i have eight is the 180 degree difference from max freed uh because that's the type of manager i am and i said heck <laughs> it and i put tyler glass now i was eight. about to
2: say it's gotta be glass now yeah
1: because this is a point where we're getting to this tier of guys where i'm just like Okay. I mean, I can see it. I could see it for almost all of them. But to me, every person that we have, that I have listed from here through 20, through 20, yeah, I guess we'll do, you know, through the top 20. is the only one that I'm like, yeah, he could finish one or two. Like mm. it's, it's in the range of outcomes. It's not, is it likely? No, probably not. But is it, is it possible for him if we somehow get like a 160-inning spike season of Tyler Glass now, is he not potentially the best pitcher in baseball? Right. This is the this um,
2: philosophy difference then. Because for sure. And for me, and am and, and not that's chasing where, that in the top 10.
1: Right. And and I would prefer to not. But if I'm missing out on those top seven guys – and again, again, we're talking about where I'm at right now with the season ending. Yeah. Um, and i've seen too many just fully lights out performances from glass now mm-hmm. where i'm thinking okay we got to 120 this year we literally just watched blake snell who had never gone over 120 get to 180 and probably win the cy young oh, so you cy young. Yeah, like not, not it's it's in my it is now in my my belief that like we've seen weirder things happen And I am just willing to say we lost a lot. We lost a lot of top tier arms or maybe a chunk of top tier arms. And Tyler glass now who in uh, 120 innings was 10 and seven with a three, five, three ERA, a 1.08 whip, 162 strikeouts for a 25.8% strikeout minus walk ratio. That is second only to Spencer Strider. Um, I just think I could see myself doing it and saying, if I go safe at two and three, like this is the build where you then go and you get a Logan Webb, you know, where you go and get a guy like that or, you know, a a later version of a Logan Webb. And you're just like, I'm going to try to get a boring ratio guy that nobody wants because there tend to be boring ratio guys that fall because nobody wants the, like, the guy's an 8.5K per nine. Like, what does that do for me? Well, if I have glass now as my ace, you know, then it, it could help me.
2: so So here's the thing. I'm not necessarily debating the ceiling. I mean, I could actually push back a little about what the expected ratios are. At the same time, I could also say, all right, if you take the last four starts of his glass nose season before then, uh, it was a two nine eight ERA and a one oh two whip and crossed 17 starts, right? And then all of a sudden he had those ridiculous games and three back to back duds. Yeah. Um, where his slider just got destroyed. And that's a interesting thing to me. Um is like, oh yeah, right, you are kind of susceptible because how good is his four seamer? I don't I don't know. 12% swinging strike rate. It's not the most overwhelming one that you've seen, despite its velocity. So, I mean, it's because of course the curveball is just so stupid hard to hit and it's insane how much drop it gets and unbelievable. And then really the the main winner of Tyler Glasnow's repertoire is this new slider he introduced uh, before he got Tommy John in 2021. Um, and that's really everything for him. But when that slider is falling in the middle of the plate, then it's like, Oh boy, it's not that fun. Um, but it was 120 innings this year, which is the most he's ever thrown. And that was still only 21 starts. And I just, I hate to play the injury game, but it's just, there is, there. Um, it reminds me of one thing and I am not in any way celebrating because it's the worst thing that happened in baseball this year, um, which is Jacob DeGrom getting hurt. I, uh, I remember the conversations though, being like, okay, well, let's say though, Jacob DeGrom gives you 120 innings. Like this is how much better he is than everyone else. But that's not taking into account how he could not throw 120. It's a very yes. good chance that he could be throwing like 60 or 40 or whatever, right? And with Glasnow, I, I feel it's the same way because it's not just Tommy John that he's had. He's had constant chronic things all the time. And I don't think that we're going to get enough out of Glasnow to justify a top 10 pick. I have him in my top 15 because I obviously understand with you like, yeah, he could be SP number one, it, there absolutely is a possibility with that. I'm not even gonna. Yeah, I, I can't beat around that. Of course, um, I just can't see a scenario where he gets that much volume. I
1: just don't. I I think the injury pushback makes total sense. That's going to be the pushback what everybody would give, right?
2: It's just about I think, right. I'm saying like the the um the weight of it. I think is sure. obviously the debate. I think and your I think your need for
1: innings your need for innings from glass now is so much lower than your need for innings. If you're taking a guy like, you know um, whatever, I'm not going to list off some of the guys we're going to talk about later, but like, this is like the, the argument for Sandy Alcantara, right? Mm -hmm. That glass now at 130, 140 innings can still be so electric Whereas yeah, like no, I'm not Sandy Alcantara that. at 150 innings That's not the
2: debate to me, though. is no, not going to do it to for me you. me is well, the projected innings.
1: No, I, I agree. I'm not saying – all I'm saying is I at this point in October am willing to say if I get 130 innings of glass now, which right. I just got 120. Yep. So I'm not really like dreaming on something – Outrageous. I understand that I am in the broader context of his history and his injuries and the fact that he, you know, hasn't, um, pitched, he's pitched over hundred innings just twice. Um, so I get that, that 130 innings would be a career high for him. Um, but I don't think it's a massive jump from this year. And I'm willing to just say 130, 140 innings from a guy who's this talented. Might just be worth taking a risk if I am a believer that I can round out the rotation around him, and I'm a believer that historically speaking, my skill set in this game is that I'm able to find pitchers on the waiver wire because early on, I'm you know tracking things that maybe other people aren't tracking, or I'm just attuned to whatever, and I. Typically, typically speaking, me personally, I do better in pitching categories than hitting categories.
2: That's the way to be. Well, actually, so I actually do worse in pitching because I overinvest in hitting. But then that's good because <laughs> then I'm able to. That's where I'm yeah. able to gain. All, so. I, I mean, yes, I mean, <laughs> that I my, what you're saying. It's like that's my draft picks, my like, success rate, yeah. and I'm
1: able to like I am able to find guys later in drafts and find guys on the waiver wire. And with glass now, I'm looking at okay, if he's not pitching if he's not performing for me, it's probably because he's hurt. It's probably not going to be because Tyler glass and I was just getting lit up consistently over and over again. So if I'm in an NFBC league and he is hurt and out for the rest of the season, I can cut and move on. If I'm in a home league where I have an IL spot and he gets hurt I move him to the IL spot, I pick up another pitcher and I'm factoring that into the idea that I know the quality of the innings I'm getting is likely going to be higher than anybody who I would who else I would pick at this spot, and if he is not in my lineup, it's because I have the ability to put somebody else in over him because he he physically cannot like he's he's out he's just not there, sure. and I trust myself to replace him with somebody who the final season line for that guy will be worthy of right yeah right the the il spot yeah and maybe at the end of the at the uh, end of the you know at the end of march he's 11 12 13 14 whatever but but i think that this fringe top 10 for me makes sense for glass now like at 8 to 14 Uh, range
2: i understand it i think the reason ultimately that and again this is tier two which extends into glass now for me in the next you know 11 through 20 podcasts we're going to do i the thing that i see is that the guys that i'm passing over to get Glasnow here i think are really also exciting and give you so much um you know and my nine and ten are real are kind of rocks in a way that are you can't just find later on and the the real debate to me is look if you're seeing 130 140 innings from Glasnow, honestly i think i might signed with you for this spot with glass because as you mentioned the replacement level pitcher that we find, maybe that allows me to pick up Cole Reagan's on, on August first, right? Like that kind of thing. Fine. Obviously, it's not always gonna be Cole Reagans, but you understand my point. Yes. To me, Glasnow at that is a favorable projection, uh, and not the one that I see. And that's really just going to be the debate, I think, throughout the entire offseason is where do you does everybody mentally have the amount of innings for Tyler Glasnow? And in my head, it's it's closer to ninety. Um, and if that's the case, yeah, I'm rather, I'm going for the other guys, um, that I have at nine and 10, including my number nine, because this podcast might go a little bit long. That is Zach Gallon. Hey buddy. Uh, I sold, I said, (laughs) I don't want to say something about man, but I'm a gallon gal and gallon to me is weird. It's kind of funny. I normally don't go after guys I find are weird because I love understanding fully, feeling like, yes, this is how they have success. And I put them in a little box and like, that's it. And everything's fine. And when I find them weird, I feel as if I am advocating for something I don't truly understand. Uh, So I do have some hesitation. I just guess I guess I just find it weird that he always has this called strike rate on his four seamer. 94th percentile called strike rate, which is why it's an 86th uh, percentile CSW, and just year in year out, 32% CSW, and a four seamer is really good. 23% called strike rate. Now, if you remember, Gallon throughout the entire season, he was so good at the beginning, another scoreless inning streak, and then it got kind of interrupted a bit, and refined himself. There was a really good quote that he gave uh, Renee Deckert um, about how he was experimenting a little bit with his four seamer. Um, trying to actually do the Blake Snell blueprint at times, which is kind of cool. Four seamers upstairs, and then you have this changeup and curveball. You can go downstairs. Uh, the thing is, the curveball sometimes left him. The changeup hasn't wasn't as consistent, and the cutter. I don't really like his cutter. He's he's really lost that pitch a bit over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, twenty nineteen, it was a seventeen percent swing strike. Right now, it's a nine percent. I actually think that pitch could come back for him, as he has also split it up into being cutters and sliders a little bit. But it's really actually just that cutter again, which is cool. But at the end of the day, Zach Gallen has been a rock. What do you know? Um, once again, just being incredibly consistent for your squads. Uh, it's two straight seasons of that consistency. Great whip, great ERA, Papa John's, um, and a 26% rate that I think could go up uh, in future years when the, the changeup or the cutter does develop as they should. He's also so good at getting that curveball and changeup down. Um, he's one of the best in the league at it, 97th percentile for the curveball and low location at 82%. I mean, think about it. When you throw a curveball, do you want it to be middle of the zone, above the zone, top of the zone? No, you want it always to be down. Mm-hmm. He does it so well. And same with the changeup at an 82% low location, which is 92nd percentile. So that helps him get that call strike rate on his, uh, on his fastball because guys think it might fall off and then it just doesn't. So I... I dig Gallen. I mean, also last thing here, the Arizona defense, I've been underrating it for two years now. Um, I underrated it after 2022. I said, I wouldn't underrate it in 2023. And then I underrated it again as I didn't rank Gallen nor Kelly nearly as high as they should have been. So I'm not going to do it again, Eric.
1: Until I, I believe it in,
2: in Zach Gallon and what he does. I think he also can develop more. There's more room to grow inside of this from what he's done. Yeah. So do he, he he's my,
1: he's my number 10. Okay.
2: Um. So, I, just pushes it.
1: Yes, I, I, I put Freed over him as well because I think the strikeout difference, the strikeout gap between them, is not that large. That I will take. I believe in Freed's ratios yeah. slightly more. Yep. That was my thought um, exactly. The second half for Gallon was was not great. Uh, ten point eight percent swing strike rate, ten percent barrel rate allowed. Um, he, as you mentioned, kind of lost every single pitch to an extent, other than the the curveball. Um. So I'll I'll dig in a little more. I mean, you know, we are going long here, so we don't have to go overly long. But I think that he is somebody who, you know, you talked about how how big this tier is. Um, I could see him maybe dropping down a couple spots, but I'd still be really happy with him on my team. I think he's just been solid, Um, and it's more of if I buy into the allure of the upside with some of the guys that are that are below him that maybe i don't believe the upside exists with gallon in the extent that like i i don't think you're getting you might get a slight strikeout increase i don't think you're getting a massive strikeout increase he finished with a 24 20.4 percent strikeout minus walk ratio that is um the lowest of anybody on this list not named corbin burns who we already talked about his struggles early on in the year um and so you know, I told you I'm. I am a sucker for strikeouts, um, and there are some guys after that I might be like, mm, maybe. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know how many strikeouts Gallin had last year? Yes, I do because I wrote it down. He had 220 strikeouts. 220. he, threw, he threw 210 out. innings. Yes. Um, I'm just. I. I am. I'm wary of, and this is like where you and I disagreed uh, when we talked about this. Like at. You know Eno's Beer Launch, too. We never had ranking discussions about this guy. But I yeah. I never was as high as uh, Sandy Alcantara as other mm. people were. And I obviously really missed last year, and I'll own that. I mean, he put up a great year for you. And I missed this I was, year. Yeah. But I was just like, I, I'm wary of guys who I need to throw that many innings to compile certain stats for me because I do think in this day and age, it's hard to really rely on that. And I fall back on does he consistently miss bats does he have the pitches he can fall back on when he's not feeling it to say you know what i can get myself out of this um and i just always felt like there were red flags with with alcantara not to the extent that like i wasn't drafting him but i had no shares because i i didn't think he was a top five six pitcher um and so i'm a little bit in that boat with gallon where i don't know where i'm going to end up with him but i i am just like okay if he Throws 180 next year, which would still be a boatload of innings. Um, That drastically changes his profile for you. Be about
2: 190 strikeouts. uh, Yeah, which
1: again, that's not bad. I'm not saying obviously like he's gonna be ranked high for me. Like you would be happy with Zach Allen on your team. I'm suggesting does that eventually move him out of my top 10 yeah, into sure. the next 10? So it's still a pitcher you want, but maybe isn't right. Doesn't have the upside of some of these other guys.
2: So, so the quick thing about Alcantara, I totally understand what you're saying there. The, um the innings per game to me is, is a huge reason for like the Alcantara love that I had. Um And which may have come back to bite him this year. Sure. And uh with Zach Gallen. Uh, essentially being at six consistently through his career is pretty dang cool. Um, also, 90th percentile this past year on pitches per game, and of course, 90th percentile for his 6.2 innings per game um, as well. So that will affect the the uh, strikeouts. You could say, look, in this day and age, we just don't see guys not get hurt throwing this many innings consist- consecutively, uh, while we see guys that are more likely who haven't thrown that amount of innings actually be able to do it, like Pablo Lopez last two years versus like an Alcantara who did for so long and all of a sudden now he, he, he got hurt, right? Um, it is an interesting conversation. And I I think I generally do agree with you um, about that philosophy of look, like when it's all about volume, um, that doesn't do good things for my strikeouts. One pushback I I have to mention that wasn't really considering before, but it's something to note, is if you have two guys who have very similar ratios and one does it over 210 innings, one does it over 170, that, extra 40 innings of good ratios is a huge impact. Yeah. Uh, That is about 20, 25% of the same ratio impact of that other starter. Um, So that is something to think about too, when it comes to volume guys and why actually I'm against a lot of volume guys because having a four ERA or so of someone that goes 200 innings does a lot more harm Um, Even if you get more strikeouts because of it, if you get like a couple more wins, you are really sacrificing more ratios for it. Um, So there is a balancing act act to be had with that. Um, And at the very least with Gallon, I do feel, yeah, I'm going to get good ratios and a lot of innings to showcase that and reinforce it. And I'm not sacrificing the strikeouts like Logan Webb, for example, as you brought up. I don't believe his strikeout rate. I don't believe his walk rate either. I think both are going to get worse um, in, 2000 and, uh, in 24 because the slider never really returned. It's like one of them, and the changeup sure. going way through the roof and being like a fifty percent O swing is insane. Probably not sustainable there. Uh, so for those reasons, it's there's a big gap between Webb and Gallon for me.
1: I get that, and and again, we'll ta- I'm sure we'll talk about Webb at some point. Um, but not today. We have one more pitcher to talk about today who I didn't rank in my top 10. Um, and you I did. Think I was, I really didn't think I was. Was it because of the knuckleball?
2: It, it absolutely was. <laughs> no. Uh, it's uh, funny so was way, so when 10. I asked, asked what is the PLV on that? And because it's just on one pitch and it's the only one he threw, we have the PLV on that one pitch and it was a 5.29, which is slightly above average. You know, it's not, it's not a quality pitch. It's what we do call an average pitch. Uh, but that's good. 5.29, we'll take it. We'll take it all day. <laughs> uh, but it's George Kirby, guys. George Kirby's the one we're talking about. And um, but there's one philosophy, actually, that I've had over the years that I think is constantly been something that, like, every year I'm, I'm reminding myself to really jump in on more. I'm trying as much as I can to scrutinize entering this year. Is the more pitchers that you can get that are that you feel confident can get you 180 plus innings and have ratios and have a good steady amount of strikeouts with an opportunity to grow higher past 25 and get closer to 30%. Those are your guys that can actually absolutely soar. Like that is Zach Wheeler. You know, that was, we could have identified that one early, right? Zach Allen was that. And Sandy Alcantara was that. Uh, And, you can, you can identify, I mean, Robbie Ray was that. So if you can find these players that have that foundation that you also don't feel is a risk, you know, they're still going to be beneficial to you. Sure, they might be an SP two or three, but you don't really feel like they're going to be an SP five or six mm-hmm. and carry that ability to say, well, then if they are able to miss more bats then all of a sudden we've got something. That Those are the guys I want to target more than ever. And George Kirby to me, is a perfect example of this. So 335 ERA, 104 WHIP, 23% K rate. The 23% K rate is the big pushback. So <laughs> it's an interesting repertoire. Like he has an 18% swing strike rate on his four seamer. That seems amazing, right? 96 percentile strike rate, 74%. But boy, does he allow a lot of hard contact on this. Like bad contact. Uh, 43% ICR is so bad for a four seamer. That's 47th percentile. You don't want that. But the thing is, he just needs to get it, like, a little more up. That's all he needs to do. He, he's already in the upper half, but it's not the upper third as much. And guys, oh, I mean, the O-swing oh on this is 42%. That's 99th percentile. Like, batters get too complacent swinging sli- on this fastball. So he has a slider. He throws a 67% of the time, but only a 10% swing strike rate. Ah, oh, 67% strike rate is so good. 20% usage. I think Kirby, um, just even with four-seamer slider, could actually be... Like, think of Zach Wheeler, the way that he utilizes his four-seamer, and then he has a sinker at a, uh, what was it, a 44% of a swing? Oh, 37% for George Kirby. He jams a ton of right-handers inside with sinkers. Exactly what you're supposed to do. <laughs> he does that. So it's just about finding that that real breaking ball that Kirby can utilize. And the sliderness wasn't bad. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about a bad pitch. We're talking about a 95th percentile slider. A uh, 5.55 PLV, 24% call strike rate at 97th percentile. I know it's so many numbers, but it's a good slider that gets a ton of call strikes with. And I think that if he starts using it more as a two strike pitch, which was the 13th percentile, by the way, of two strikes, you would go with the four seamer instead. I think if he adapts that to actually command that down and away, you will see more of those uh, swing and misses. He actually has a a decent two-strike O-swing of 46% on it. Like, it's not so terrible. I think he can lean more into that. So there's more to grow with George Kirby. Winning ball club. Uh, throws a ton of strikes, so no walks, good whip. Already a great baseline for ERA. You see the the you know, the innings. I mean, it's kind of all there. And I know a lot of people are going to be in on George Kirby this year. And the biggest question is like, is he going to take that leap with a slider? I was actually asking that at the beginning of this season hey, George Kirby, I need to see a better slider. What did he do? He went from a 121 whip to a 104. What we saw better slider with more called strikes was able to keep guys more off the fastball. Now we need to see him utilize that, not just a 20% usage, maybe 25, 30, where he increases that in two strike counts. I think that can happen with George Kirby. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all in here.
1: Yeah, and he tweaked that slider in the middle of the year, made it a little harder and tighter, and uh, the swing strike rate on it more than doubled. Um, so I, I see what you're saying. Um, all all of it. I mean, that's a a really solid case. And then just looking under the hood a little bit, um, you know, there's, there is a deeper arsenal than maybe I was giving him credit for. Um, cause so, so I could see it. Yeah, I, I, I can see it. Um, increased velocity on the fastball as the year went on too, is always nice. Uh, obviously we know, you know, young, young kid can, can improve. Um, he was going to be mentioned for me in the next, uh, grouping. Oh, yeah. He so, was in like, your top 20, what you doing. Yeah. He's team. obviously like a name that, you know, I know people want to ding him because he got upset that he was kept in a game for too long. No, um, that was, and I, you know, uh, I think we, we don't want to rely too much on stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think. I I can, I can squint and dream on some strikeout upside here. I'll I'll have to dig in a little bit more. I think that's the, that's the big thing for me, right? If, if I can convince myself as you have started to convince me that there is room for strikeout growth, then I think he becomes a little bit more of an intriguing guy to lead your fantasy uh, staff because it just adds a little bit more of that value.
2: I mean, he goes so many innings. Six point one innings per start is great. Ninety yeah. seventh percentile. He's already at the point of throwing ninety pitches per start. Uh, it, it's it's there. I mean, I really do think it's actually a lot more. It's, it's simple. Just say, all right, you know, four seamer. Don't necessarily go to that all the time, into strike counts. I know that you have an eighteen percent swing strike rate on it, which is unbelievably good. Um. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, batters do swing at, at the pitch in the zone, though, I will say. 74% strike rate but just a 10% called strike rate. Batters don't let him um, get away with a pitch in the zone. And I think by utilizing more of these sliders and curveballs uh, out of the zone, as neither of them are under a 50% zone rate, I think can help him a little bit as you're not going to see a 2.5% walk rate again, guys. Yeah. I actually, he's a perfect example of a pitcher I want to throw fewer strikes. Um And I think that can go a long way for him and all of a sudden take him from that 23% to a 27% uh, K rate. And you might see slightly fewer innings because of that, but I think it's going to be worthwhile.
1: Weirdly though, that strikeout rate jumped from 20.8 in the first half to 25.2 in the second half. And the walk rate just went from 2.3 to Um, 2.7. So he already had a, a pretty massive strikeout rate boost without having to do too, too much damage to the walk rate. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm coming around a little bit on this. I think, I don't know why. I think there are just, there are just some narratives you need to break for yourself of like who a pitcher is. Yeah. Um, especially when oh, that yeah. pitcher is just 25 years old, um, and can <laughs> wind up being a lot of things. Yeah, uh, right. And I think I just, I pictured him as, In a little bit of that gallon mode with less strikeouts. Uh, And I think, you know, obviously the surface level stats for this season do support that. But that might not be who he is next year uh, based on if Oh, that's the hardest thing that we do.
2: Right. And actually, I think last year I I said to myself, Nick, um, I mean, I think I said to myself like in April, I was like, Nick, next year, you have to give more credit to exciting pitchers developing further. Mm hmm. And do it to pitchers that you already kind of have a good foundation where they can just stay the same. And like, you don't really feel things are weird and will go away Do to ones that you think are good already and then expect them to take a leap. Um, I'm trying to do that this year and you guys will see with the, uh, with the top 11 through 20, that's the next podcast. Uh, there are a lot of leaps that I am taking.
1: I think that's the, that is the most interesting. And as you mentioned, the toughest thing is like, you want to look at what did a picture maybe change that that added growth that we can carry on, right? We are not we don't want right. to just like pull hypothetical growth out that we have not yet seen. Because yeah, that's the thing too. It's I hear the hard time to do to that. Say, no, I think it could get better. I'm like, where? Right. How? Where, where based on what? If he just tweaks that, okay, has he done it? Yeah, have we seen right. him do it yet? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the toughest thing is like, most of the time those are smaller sample sizes, right? You're looking at maybe like, six starts 10 starts whatever and it's it is and as you know as a pitcher like seven starts at the end of one season and then months off to work on other things like it's you can't just automatically say that person's going to pick up where they left off right because the tinkering in the offseason may help it may not help um the they it may be just that pitch felt great in the in the summer months and they were gripping why it the and rule awesome.
2: the end of the year guys and roll, the, 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 <laughs> the, the winter is the great frozen wall it just erases any sort of rhythm that they were in in the end of the year it's just what happens every single season yeah Um
1: we're gonna <laughs> have to erase <laughs> our, our rhythm, the great frozen wall in the middle of this uh, countdown after 10 arms. Um, I promise you people uh, it will not take us an hour and a half to discuss 10 pitchers every time. Uh, it but, might. You know, Nick, Nick and I want to make sure we're, we're giving you kind of the detailed analysis. Maybe when we're both saying the same thing about somebody, we'll just uh, let one, one, one Yo, of us like, take
2: that's it. Good. That's good. You got yeah. it. Yeah, that's you great. got,
1: you know what you nailed cool. it. Enough said. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're, we're going to be back. Um, with eleven through twenty, and then we're going to keep going all the way through two hundred in this off season uh, to make I, sure I that, will
2: say I don't think we're going to do all one hundred one to one eighty. Yeah, but uh, we will truncate. I think past one hundred, but we will have a lot of these by yeah. at the very least. We're going to have probably twelve, if not like fourteen or something like that.
1: Probably twelve yeah. is what I we would will say. at least have. If we don't get through all two hundred, we'll at least have some of the guys that we are. Watching or keeping yeah. an eye on at the end we'll of two the for list the that back
2: half of you know, after the guy, first 100. guys that you should maybe what be
1: I, looking at in the off season and see what I who, do want to
2: uh, do with Eric, um, and we've talked about this. What we we're gonna do, guys, is uh, one podcast that is dedicated just to going over all the different rookie arms together um, and kind of showcasing our differences between them um, and just what makes one guy more exciting than the other. Um, and then uh, I spent some time going over uh today all these prospect pitchers as we as i talked about at the mm-hmm. top of it we're going to talk about a lot of those and who could be those impacts as well before the season starts but we have got a lot to do this offseason
1: oh yeah there is no offseason we, is there eric you know what we might even do maybe we'll, we'll even do a podcast where we look at the potential uh international pitchers that are coming over oh and man can't can, wait for that if we, we can get no some idea. footage one guy
2: is named i'm an aga though so it's uh imanga <laughs> i can't wait for that yeah yeah can't wait um Imanaga, there it is.
1: <laughs> but thanks for starting on this off-season ranking journey with us. Um, as always, you know you can continue to find us putting out fantasy baseball uh, content, tweets, uh, discussions of the playoff games. Nick is on Twitter at pitcherlist. Uh, I am on Twitter at samsky NYC. Uh, we will catch you next time on on the corner to continue our top one hundred. I am Eric Samolsky, the Pelican, and I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And we'll talk to you guys
2: next week.